Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mind Body Mastery Podcast. I am your host, Caitlin Michaels, and I thank you so much for being here with me once again today. Today is episode number 44, and today I want to piggyback off of last week's episode just a little bit and talk about one of my most important teachers in my life, um, Kate Swedberg, in um, episode number 43. And I talked about uh, Mr. David Hawkins, Dr. David Hawkins. David Hawkins, um, I think, really planted all the seeds that I needed in order to make Sarno's message kind of click immediately with me. And so I want to talk a little bit about what I learned from David Hawkins years before ever discovering Sarno and um, how I think that helped me. And then I also want to mention, so if you have been in my Facebook group, Mind Body Masters, and if you tuned into my announcement a couple weeks ago, I said that I was going to Seattle to go see none other than the host of the Mind and Fitness podcast, Eddie Lindenstein. We were going to get together and have a podcast dedicated to you, answering all of your questions and just kind of bouncing ideas back and forth and it was going to be awesome and mother nature had other plans for us this weekend. If I had gone to Seattle, um, I would have made it there, but I don't know that I would have made it back quite yet. <laughs> all of my return flights were canceled. All of my events that I had planned over the weekend were canceled. Seattle received about uh, 10 inches, well, probably more than that now, probably close to over a foot, a foot and a half of snow when their usual yearly totals are somewhere in the six to seven inches range. So um, I'm glad I made the choice to stay home and not get stranded in Seattle for my first time ever there. So Eddie and I are still going to do this episode. We're just going to uh, do it in March instead. So he's coming into Chicago, and so I'm going to drive down to Chicago and meet up with him there. Um, I think both Eddie and I are in this place right now um, in our journeys, um, similar places where, I don't know, connection is just so valuable. And so rather than just hopping on the phone and doing another over-the-phone interview, I thought it would be just more meaningful to get together with one of my most favorite colleagues in this mind-body space. And so we're going to get together in person, so you'll have to wait one more month, but still keep your questions coming. I'm going to repin that post to the top of my um, Facebook group page. So keep those questions coming in, and I guarantee that this will make this episode even more powerful than it would have been if we had just done it um, on Sunday. So keep uh, your ears peeled for that. Dates are incoming on when that'll be. And then um, also, I just want to remind you to head on over to iTunes and leave me a little love note if you can. Um, I just light up when I see those reviews and I've gotten a couple of beautiful ones in this week. So thank you to everyone who has offered their love. And, um, so if you have any iDevices laying around the house, if you have an old iPad that barely works, just hop on over to that iPad, open it up, charge it up and, um, open the little iTunes app and try to leave me a review there if you're able. 
Um, so much love to all of you who have written in one so far. It really fuels my fire to keep going. So thank you. One last thing before I get into the Hawkins episode is I have been toying around with this idea of doing on the air coaching. So these, um, like mind body coaching sessions would be free of course. Um, and they would be published on the pod. And so if you want to kind of feel what it's like to have someone hold space for you, um, you can come on totally anonymously and you can bring a question or an intention to this little mini coaching session and we will work with you on the air. I think it would be valuable for both you, the person calling in, but also everyone listening, because I think what we discover as we go forward in our healing journeys is that all of our problems are not necessarily unique to us. And so um, just kind of hearing that you're not alone by kind of bringing your own problem or concern or question to the pod um, would be valuable for anyone listening in. So I'm just now starting to um, play with this idea. So if you want to apply to be coached on the air, um, you can do so at www.caitlinmichaels.org. That's K-A-T-E-L-Y-N-M-I-C-H-A-L-S.org slash podcast coaching. That's caitlinmichaels.org slash podcast coaching. And you can apply there depending on the response that I get from this. Um, I may or may not be able to get to all of you. So, um, so if you don't hear back from me, do not be offended. It's mostly just that I'm a one man show and I can't, um, maybe can't get to everyone. I'll do my best. Um, but this is kind of in beta testing mode. So, um, if we were to hop on a call for a little, um, mini coaching session, it may or may not be published on the air depending on how it goes. So this is all kind of just popped into my head yesterday. So you guys let me know what you think. If you want to take advantage of this, head on over to caitlinmichaels.org slash podcast coaching. And you can fill out a little form there and you do not have to offer your real name. You can offer a pseudonym to begin with. So that way you can stay totally anonymous. I will call you by your pseudonym and we will hop on a call. So, all right. And then into the show today, David Hawkins. So David Hawkins, I discovered him in 2014 and at that time, I was still dealing with chronic recurring symptoms in my lower back, my neck, my hips. And I did begin to apply a lot of the principles that he laid out in his books, um, specifically the books uh, Letting Go, The Pathway of Surrender, and Healing and Recovery. Those were the two main books that I kind of marked up and uh, read over and over and over again. And I loved what he said. I could feel the truth resonating in both of those books. I have probably six other of his books, but he gets really deep in some of these books. Like I have one book called The Eye of the Eye and another called Eye. And those are like, like if you want your, if you want some deep spiritual 
literature, go there. But if you're just beginning your spiritual mind-body journey, start with Letting Go. That's probably the most user-friendly book. So in all of his literature, David Hawkins has this basic structure, which all of his teachings sort of flow from. And that is his map of consciousness or scale of consciousness. And what he put forth is that your level of consciousness is determined largely by what you are thinking and feeling most often. The scale goes from from 20 to 1000. I think zero would indicate death, right? So, so it's kind of a scale of energy. And he puts the emotions on this scale based on their level of energy. And so the lower part of the scale, the, the less energy part of the scale, are what he calls the levels of falsehood. So, so these are the emotions that are not rooted in truth. And at the bottom of this scale is shame. Shame is the lowest energy emotion on his scale, holds an energy of 20, according to his particular rating system. Above shame, there's guilt at 30. Next at 50, apathy. Above that, with just a little more energy at 75, grief. And just above that at 100 is fear. And just above fear at 175 is desire. Uh, oh, no, at 125 is desire. Above desire is anger at 150. And then above anger is pride at 175. All of these levels below the energetic level of 200 on his scale is what he coined as the levels of falsehood. So basically, these are the levels that when we take a higher perspective, all of the thoughts and feelings and emotions that emerge from these levels are not true at all. So when we are in shame, we are believing thoughts that aren't true. When we are stuck in fear, we are believing thoughts that are not true. When we are stuck in anger, we are generally also believing thoughts that from a higher perspective are not true or they don't remain true. Not to say that all of these levels are to be avoided, quite the contrary. I think these levels, so when we have, when we get stuck in one of these lower levels, a lot of times what comes with, let's say, uh, anger, attached to anger on the back end is usually shame and guilt. Like we feel bad for having anger. So we not only feel angry, but now we move down into the lowest possible level to also feel shame and guilt for the anger. So it does us so much better to simply allow whatever emotion is arising to be there without judging ourselves for it. And we move through it so much faster when we can just notice and witness and kind of watch these emotions come through our experience as if they were passing clouds. And so just keep in mind that I only kind of talk about this scale to frame Hawkins' work, and I'm not at all demonizing these, these lower levels. These lower levels are 
part of the human experience and we are all going to dip into these lower levels at certain points in our day, certain points in our weeks, months, years, all of it. And I think the, um, the lower emotions are kind of the emotions that symbolize when we are in fight or flight. These lower emotional energies kind of uh, increase our stress and adrenaline levels. And it's so much easier to form and, and contract illness when we are mainly swimming in these levels of untruth. And then once we move up the scale above the 200 level, courage is the first level of truth. Courage is at 200. And I think a lot of times in like a mind body journey, simply having the courage to begin doing the emotional work is where we begin to enter into the truth of life itself. Above courage at 250 is neutrality. So it's okay if it happens. It's okay if it doesn't. Willingness is just above neutrality um, at the level of 310. At the level of 350 is acceptance, which if you're farther along on your journey, maybe you're here. Maybe you've just begun to accept yourself as a human, as a human with emotions, as a human that, that is able to feel all the feels, even the grumpy feels, even the feels that don't feel so good. And you're in this state of radical acceptance of who you are right now in this moment, this present moment. Above acceptance at 400 is reason, which is also tied to wisdom. Above reason is uh, 500, which is the level of love. Joy sits at 540. Peace is at the level of 600. And enlightenment is at the levels between 700 and 1000. I think there's a document floating around uh, somewhere on the internet that kind of rates different people um, throughout history. Like he made a scale of different humans on the planet and put their levels, their average level of consciousness on a, on a little form. I think he put Jesus at like 999 and the Buddha at 999. And um, I think Einstein was at 499. Um, and, uh, I forget other people, but Eckhart Tolle was like 600 and Byron Katie was somewhere at 600 or 540 maybe. Um, but anyway, interesting to kind of put these numbers, you know, on different people that we know and love in the spiritual space. So when we are above this 200 level, we are in a state that's really conducive to our healing. We are more tapped into our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest system. Our immunity goes up and we are naturally guided toward more peaceful, hopeful thoughts and emotions. Um, our general level of consciousness can be kind of figured out by just taking a general average of the emotions we find ourselves in throughout the day. And we all waffle between all of the emotions, but sort of knowing where we get stuck 
can give us a general idea of where we have been landing lately. And oftentimes, it's just a matter of habit. You know, we kind of gravitate towards what's familiar. We are naturally attracted to thoughts and feelings and emotions that feel familiar. So even if they are negative or even if they are shameful or guilty or any of these lower levels, a lot of times we just kind of habituate towards those levels because they're so familiar and it feels odd to feel joyful and peaceful. We see someone who's just in a state of bliss and we think, what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> like, why is he so happy? Doesn't he live on the same planet I live on? And the truth is, no, he doesn't. He lives in his natural state, which is peace and love and joy. These lower levels come in through our conditioning. These lower levels come in when adults in our lives, when we're kids, teach us about fear and despair and that the world is against us. And so we kind of take on our conditioning as our own, but we forget that there's a truth underneath it all. And those levels of truth are these higher levels of emotion. If you would have talked to me in 2011 when I was prepping for the end of the world and expecting a total societal collapse at any given moment, my level of consciousness was often floating around the level of 100 or fear. I was also in a lot of pain. I was um, st steeped in my body dysmorphia. I was still operating through self-hatred, thinking that it was somehow good for me to still hate my body and my face and my mind. And so I was probably floating around shame and apathy and desire for a different body, even when I was younger. So I have noticed looking back my own self moving up the emotional scale as the years go by. And as I begin to practice self-love and self-acceptance and self-worth and trusting that all of my habituated thoughts about not being good enough or not being smart enough or not being pretty enough were all just levels of falsehood that I chose to believe as truth. So one of Hawkins' most powerful mantras that he kind of weaves throughout his books is something that he used to free himself of over 36 different diagnoses. And it's something that I personally practiced for years before discovering Sarno. On page 50 of Healing and Recovery, he says that the actual healing of physicality of the illness is by letting go of resisting the inner physical experience. At the same time, without putting any mental label upon it. And then also at the same time, you begin to cancel this mental label and replace it with the truth. And we cancel by saying the following. I no longer believe in that. I am an infinite being and I am not subject to that. I am only subject to what I hold in my mind. So if you have a thought that comes up that says, I have such and such a diagnosis, catch yourself and you say, cancel that. I'm an infinite being subject only to that which I hold in my mind. Cancel, cancel, cancel. <laughs> so I spent years canceling all of my limiting beliefs, but there was one belief that was kind of stuck in my subconscious that I, I thought was too concrete 
for this to work with. I thought my back was bad. I thought my back had structures that were so far gone that I couldn't possibly have this new agey um, intention setting work for me. And so he goes on to say, what does it mean to be an infinite being and not subject to that? Well, it means that we are only limited by our belief systems. And if we let them go, what takes their place? If the concept of a solid form is removed from consciousness, then what is left? The formless is left. The inner experience of it is left. And that experience is that we are infinite. We are without boundaries. We are without beginning or end. The formless is the essential nature of consciousness itself, and it is unlimited. So yeah, so when I read his books in 2014, I was still in quite a lot of pain. I couldn't quite grasp the deep truth of his teachings, and I had so many belief systems running the show underneath that this nice idea of my infinite nature couldn't overcome. And so he says that when we interject our well but onto our personal situation, we put a limit upon our limitless form. So I read his books and I practiced his teachings, but underneath this statement that I am an infinite being subject only to that which I hold in my mind, I secretly had a program running that said, but my pain is actually real and structural. So I put my own box around my form and I remained in pain for years to come until Sarno opened my eyes and was like, no, your structures can do those things and not have pain. And I think I needed to hear from a more doctory sounding presence in my life rather than just a spiritual teacher, even though Hawkins was a, a, a physician. He was a physician and a psychotherapist and a spiritual researcher. But for some reason, Sarno's book seemed to hold more truth in it. And so, so Hawkins kind of paved the way for me and Sarno unlocked the gates of possibilities. I guess I just needed to hear that I was safe is what it boils down to. So falsehood, the levels of grief, apathy, guilt, shame. When we are swimming within those falsehood energy states, it thrusts us into a negative energy field, which by its very nature brings about illness discomfort, disease, people around us can feel it. And so we project and receive judgment and sitting in these states keeps us in fight or flight, which then keeps us in pain. But when we tell the truth, the truth being that we are infinite beings subject only to that, which we hold in our minds then we instantly move up the scale of consciousness into the levels of openness, acceptance, willingness, courage, and love. When we really accept this truth that we are infinite expressions of consciousness, we naturally come into this state of appreciation for our bodies 
instead of trying to make them wrong or trying to fix them, we step into lovingness of life and others. And we find that we naturally let go of our criticism and judgment and attack thoughts that we direct inwardly or out into the world. When we move above the levels of falsehood, we naturally let go of putting ourselves in the position of being right and making others wrong. And so in my last pod, I mentioned David Hawkins' five-step process to overcoming any illness. And I'll share with you uh, what that is now. And this process, like any other, requires practice and belief. So I want to ask you guys before I tell you this, have you devoted yourself to a practice that involves really feeling and getting back into your bodies? If you've tried somatic experiencing or somatic tracking, if you've tried emotional awareness exercises or journaling or coaching, and maybe you tried all of these things just once or twice, and you expect a shift in your consciousness to happen forever, what you might be forgetting is that the very nature of neural networks is more complex than that and requires a little bit more practice. It can really take time to, and repetition to remap your neural networks into new patterns that are now seen as familiar. I spent years reading and rereading Hawkins and years practicing this exact five-step process, which I think really helped me greatly in my own recovery once I discovered Sarno. And looking back, I think what kept me stuck in this persistent pain pattern was that underlying belief system that there were limitations to this process. I thought this five-step process was too good to be true, too new agey, but now I think my eyes have been opened and I will return to this very same process again and again. Okay, so here it goes. The specifics of healing any illness, according to David Hawkins, consists of number one, letting go of resisting the sensory experience of it. So completely surrendering to whatever sensations are happening in my, in your body, whether it's pain, whether it's sharpness, whether it's shooting, have you really surrendered to it? Have you lifted up this white flag of, I give up, just take me, take me symptoms, just have your way with me. I think a lot of you are afraid to do that because you think that if you take down your shields that you'll somehow get overwhelmed, but you're still here and there's only so much pain that you can experience. And a lot of times the most painful part of pain is the meaning and the stories we place upon the pain. So step number one, let go of resisting the sensations of it. Step number two, no longer putting any names or labels on it. So whatever diagnoses you've been given, See if you can throw away the diagnosis, even the diagnosis of TMS, although that is probably the most 
helpful diagnosis I've ever come across in my lifetime, it still carries with it some meaning and some, some programs. And for me, TMS is the most hopeful diagnosis because it means that I'm safe and it means that I'm already healed, even though I have some sensations going on. But I think for some of you, what it symbolizes is chronic pain. So I want you to ask yourself, when you think of the word TMS or the diagnosis of TMS, does it bring peace or does it bring tension and fear? And if it brings the latter, I welcome you to stop putting names on that too. Throw away the TMS diagnosis and just step into your infinite beingness. So the labels don't help us because the labels come with their own set of symptoms and programs and belief systems. So, so just number one, let go of resisting the sensory experience of it. Number two, don't put any labels on it. Number three, using no words at all, just welcome the experience in a very radical way. So using no words at all. Can you do that? I feel like it's pretty tough to use no words at all because we are thinking beings. And oftentimes when we're steeped in TMS, we or well, what formerly known as TMS, the bodily sensations that you're experiencing right now, we try to logic it out and we try to reason it out and we try to put stories to it and we try to explain it and we try to figure it out. And all of those words that we use to try to figure it out, we, we limit ourselves with those words. So step number three, use no words at all and just welcome experiencing what you are experiencing. Number four, cancel the thought form and belief system. So if the thought form arises that says, I have degenerative disc disease, say, oh, cancel that. I am an infinite being subject only to that which I hold in my mind. Cancel that. I am an infinite being subject only to that which I hold in my mind. Step number five, choose the energy of love which heals. When we think a loving thought, our muscles grow strong. When we think a hateful thought, our muscles grow weak. You can kind of bash me for talking about muscle testing, but try it for yourself. Just hold up uh, a fist in front of your chest and think the word love. And then take your hand like as if you were doing uh, like paper on rock. Um, So Put one hand out in front of you in a fist, the other hand above that in paper, and you think the word love, 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 and you try to resist with the, with the fist hand, and you try to push down with the paper hand. Love makes me strong, and when I think fear, 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 I cannot hold my fist up. So when we just choose love, when we think about people we love, when we, when we imagine our most loving moments in our lives, we put ourselves at this level that automatically heals. By looking within to nurture a general landscape of more and more loving thoughts, 
both toward ourselves and aimed out toward others, this literally heals us and dare I say it heals humanity. So whether it's loving thoughts towards our bodies, towards our emotions, towards our inner child, toward our friends, toward our perceived enemies, or just wishing that we could love those who we currently perceive to be our enemies. And at the same time, we can trust that they are sacred teachers who are only here to help us deepen our love within ourselves. And so I also want to point out that with this scale of emotion, this hierarchy of emotions, you'll notice that love, peace, willingness, and acceptance are all so much more energetically charged than all of the levels of falsehood. So the thought of love holds so much energy than the thought of fear. So one loving thought can overpower five fearful thoughts. One loving feeling can overwhelm the energy of 20 shameful feelings. So it behooves us to not disallow any of our emotions if they are arising within us. These energies can so much more easily disappear as we allow them to arise and just notice them without further internal judgment, criticism, shame, guilt, fear. Because when we resist these parts of our emotional landscape, we automatically get trapped in the shame and guilt of us simply having those feelings. We think that we shouldn't be negative or we shouldn't be feeling this way, but this attitude is actually steeped in resistance and in effect prolongs the very feeling we are trying to move up the scale from. So we would do better always to simply notice, allow, and love the one who feels like crap. And if you'll notice, there's this greater aspect of ourselves that's the witness of all of it. And so who is this neutral witness? Who is the one that notices our pain? Who is the one that notices our funky emotional self? That's the part of us that knows without a shadow of a doubt that we are infinite beings, and that is our consciousness itself. That's the part of us who knows that we are only subject to what we hold in our minds. So I'm going to start reading a couple of excerpts from uh, this chapter at the end here. It's called Pain and Suffering. And this chapter was all marked up from years ago, but I wanted to highlight a couple of pieces that start on page 303. So he says, there are several ways to handle pain and the specific sensation and experience of it. Where we are as a being with the experience of pain and how we evolve in our own consciousness will determine whether the pain involves suffering or not. The pain is one thing and suffering is another. So the first thing to eliminate is the belief system that pain equals suffering because that sets up a whole series of programs that need to be undone. Pain is one thing, and it is quite possible to be with pain, yet be totally indifferent to it. It is possible for pain to exist in the body and yet have relatively little or no experience of the pain or suffering with it at all because of an analgesic or altered state of mind. It's as though the pain is still present, but one is not connected with the pain. One is not identified with the pain. The pain exists on its own, but without the person being at the effect of it. 
So in other words, it's not necessary to be the victim of pain. One can be with the pain in such a way that does not involve suffering or any kind of agony. To realize that this is possible is the first step that leads one out of it. It's the letting go of the belief that pain and suffering are the same thing. And then on page 305, he goes on to say, the technique that we will get a lot of mileage from is the whole concept of letting go of resistance. We want to look at the benefit of letting go and compare it with what the mind usually does. The mind normally resists an experience out of the expectation of suffering. It already has a program set up that says pain means suffering and I'm going to resist it. And the fantasy is that if we resist it, we will soon eliminate it. So then the first thing we have to know is that the relief of pain and suffering comes rapidly by going 180 degrees in the opposite direction by capitulating and letting go of resisting the pain. To let go of resistance means to completely be with the event and totally surrender to the sensation. It means to ignore the thoughts that we may be having about it. Instead of thinking about it, we go right into the direct experience of the sensation and totally let go of resisting it. We open the doors, the pain rushes in, and we totally surrender to it and let go of resisting it. The way to do this is to say more, more, more. The way to hold this in mind so that this is acceptable is to know that there is only so much pain in any experience. We open the door to it and let it run out rapidly. I let go of resisting this experience, we'll say. I let go of resisting by being with it. I ignore the thoughts that arise within it because they are not going to be useful. Instead, I totally surrender and allow myself to experience it fully. It's as if the doors open, there's a rush, and the pain is totally experienced out rapidly in a few minutes. In consciousness work, the process is called disappearing. By totally letting go of resisting something, we disappear it out of our experience. One can see that the experience is prolonged by resistance. As long as we resist a thing and hold it, it continues its existence. Resistance gives it the power over us, and we then become the victim of that. We are at the effect of that which we resist. The minute we let go of our resistance and become one with it, it disappears. This also means letting go of all associated images and their accumulated energy. And then one last piece. That's on page 313. Once we understand the power of the mind and the nature of thought, we begin to realize that one of the principles of consciousness is that we are subject only to what we hold in mind. This one sentence is the key to the healing of all illnesses, pain, and suffering. We are only subject to what we hold in mind. The mind is extraordinarily powerful. The great difficulty that people have is in comprehending just how powerful the mind is. Therefore, in dealing with pain or suffering of any kind, it is first necessary to discontinue, let go, and cancel all of our belief systems about that. Research has shown that it is the belief system itself which literally creates the experience. The incident is an expression of that belief system. 
it's as if the mind justifies what it believes to be true. Okay, just kidding. One more piece. This is on page 315. And he says, we begin to move away from the pain by letting go of resisting it and not wanting to change it. We just let the sensations be present and then shift our way of being with them to the point where we do not care if they exist. It may sound amazing that we do not even care if they are present. It is very simple. We have been upset over many things in our lives. We have felt that we have to do something about them, but suddenly at one point we let them go and are indifferent to them. For example, there might have been a problem in the backyard that was driving us crazy, and one day we said, oh, to heck with it. And suddenly we moved from trying to do something about it to control it, to change it, and exert our will, to just letting it be there. When we try to change people, places, or circumstances, we see that we are up against the impossible, and the only thing we create is suffering. The minute we just let it be, our experience of it disappears. We move up to a state of painlessness in the presence of pain. It may take minutes for an acute injury. It may take months for chronic pain. David Hawkins himself had one illness that took well over a year of constantly letting go and constantly releasing and constantly surrendering and constantly canceling the belief systems before it finally disappeared. And so... But the trick is to get to this point of not caring whether or not it comes or goes. And then suddenly one morning, you'll wake up and it'll be gone. It's a happy side effect of not resisting. And so it's really good to know that our minds have the power and capacity to do this. And all we need is someone to point it out to us and encourage us to try it so we can see that it works. There's no need to be in a state of suffering over pain of any kind. Pain is one thing, suffering is another. We have to say that over and over to ourselves and begin to utilize these techniques. Then we will experience there is a me that is separate from the pain. It's like we're not connected with it anymore and we are something even greater than and beyond that which is painful. So that is David Hawkins in a nutshell. All of these excerpts were taken from the book Healing and Recovery. And I highly recommend you get it for yourself if you're of a spiritual leaning. His books are, I think, accessible to any religion, though. So if, if, um, if you're afraid that it's not going to match your particular faith, I think it will. And um, I think, you know, he'll use the term God and source and universe and energy kind of all interchangeably. And um, yeah, he's just a, a wonderful teacher and I'm blessed to have had him in my life experience. And so with that, I will leave you for today. I hope you got some nuggets out of that and I will see you guys next week. Bye.